We are preaching through the liturgical year here at Covenant, and so I would like to reflect with you this morning on 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Hear the word of the Lord. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Aramaeans on one of their raids had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, go then, and I will send a letter along to the king of Israel. He went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to give death or life? that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy. Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word, word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. This is the word of the Lord. O oh Lord, by your spirit, uh, enliven your word, give us open ears and open hearts to the end that you would be glorified and that we would leave here today more obedient and thankful than when we came. I pray through Christ our Lord, amen. If you say just the right words to someone at just the right time, in just the right spirit, you can bring hope, you can bring healing, you can change that person's life. Words are that powerful. Words are that powerful. And you don't have to be a super saint to share those kind of words. God uses ordinary people who are going about the ordinary things of daily life, but who pay attention to the world around them, and when opportunity comes, share gracious words at just the right time, words that bring hope and healing, 
and even change the direction of someone's life. I say that because our scripture looks at a young woman who in our daily life goes about doing very ordinary things. We don't even know her name. She's simply described as a young girl from Israel. But she made an incredible difference in the life of an Aramean army commander when she shared gracious words about a prophet of the living God who lived in Israel, a prophet who could heal him of a personal problem he had. So how is it that a young girl from Israel came to be a servant in the house of a foreign army commander? To answer that, let's go back to when David was king of Israel. His monarchy was a shining moment in Israel's history. David was followed by Solomon, and when Solomon died, things changed dramatically. There was civil war, things fell apart, the country split in two. Ten tribes in the north called Israel, two tribes in the south called Judah. The north with Samaria as its capital, the south with Jerusalem. Each had its own line of kings. Sometimes Judah and Israel got along with each other, sometimes they didn't. But God didn't give up on either one. He sent prophets to the north and the south to preach word of his covenant love and to warn of judgment if they didn't change their ways. Which brings us to the prophet Elisha. Elisha was one of the prophets who lived in the northern kingdom called Israel, sometimes just called Samaria. Elisha was a prophet for some 50 years. His parents were farmers. He was out plowing one day in a field when the prophet Elijah came by. Elijah, Elijah called Elisha to be his helper, and when the Lord took Elijah to heaven, Elisha became a prophet in his own right. He was a godly man. He had a heart for people, and he had the gift of miracle worker. He went to a town where the water had gone bad and purified the water. The son of a well-to-do woman had died. Elisha prayed, and the child opened his eyes and lived. That was Elisha, a man of wisdom, a gift for miracles, counselor to kings, prodding them and the people to worship the true living God. So now let's bring together Elisha, uh, the young woman, the Aramean army commander, and saying the right word at the right time. Israel often had conflict with the nation of Aram, uh, just to the east with uh, Damascus as its capital. Every year there was a flare-up between Aram and Israel. And in one of those clashes during the time of Elisha, the Arameans captured a young Israelite woman and took her back to Aram. And she ended up a servant in the house of Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of the king, highly regarded, valiant commander. Great victories had come to the king of Aram because of Naaman. And this young Israelite woman is a servant in his house. Her daily life is the faithful performance of present duties, the ordinary things to keep life moving forward, the daily things we all do just to live. John Calvin, the father of Presbyterian, said the Christian life is a daily life. The Christian life is a daily life. Most of us live out our f lives and our faith in very ordinary circumstances. Our days are pretty routine. 
Much of what we do is largely unnoticed. There's a job to get up and go to. There are bills to pay, clothes to wash, groceries to buy, meals to put on the table, yard work, doctor appointments, friends to meet, family to care for. A lot of what we do is fairly ordinary. But it's there in that ordinariness that we're called to live for Jesus, the faithful performance of present duties. Most of which are very daily. You're to be faithful right where you are, as you are. Probably barely noticed. The media isn't there to validate your worth as a person. But nevertheless, you push on. You do your jobs, you show up, you live your faith. That was the young Israelite woman, a servant in the house of Naaman, renowned commander of the Aramean army. She was doing her job. But she was also paying attention. She saw that there was a not so victorious side to Naaman's life. Naaman had leprosy. It might not have been leprosy as we know it. The Hebrew word was used for a variety of skin diseases, but whatever it was, Naaman had it. He wasn't doing well. There's social isolation that comes with a skin disease. There's community fear that a leper will pollute everybody. There's a lot of bathing and laundering for anyone who comes near a leper. And for the leper, uh, aloneness isolation, alone. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a poem called Alone. I could not awaken my heart to joy. All I loved, I loved alone. John D. Rockefeller Center founded Standard Oil, created a monopoly, uh, became a billionaire. People were struck by how vigorous and young he looked and the way he worked. But in his late 40s, Rockefeller got a skin disease. By the time he was 52, a lot of, he lost a lot of body hair, his mustache fell out. He looked old, uh, puffy, his head was bumpy. It came at a time when America was turning against monopolies like Standard Oil and his disease hurt his public image. Uh, it made him appear threatening lacking warmth, crushing blow to his morale. Naaman, this highly regarded commander of the army, had a skin affliction. affliction. And that's when the story takes a twist. In his house, there's this young Jewish woman who had been captured by the Arameans on one of their raids into Israel. She's a servant to Naaman's wife. And one day, knowing Naaman had leprosy, she said to his wife, if only my master was with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria. Could this possibly be a prophet in Israel who could cure my husband? Who is he? He's Elisha. He's a prophet of the living God. He purified water that had gone bad. He raised a woman's son from the dead. If only my master would see the prophet who's in Samaria, he'd cure him. Naaman's wife told her husband it lifted their spirits. He went and told the king of Aram what the woman had said, by all means go, the king said. 
I'll send a letter to the king of Israel saying why you're there, but by all means, go. The name of Elisha is familiar to us. The name of Naaman comes down to us in history. But this young servant woman is mostly overlooked. But what an incredible difference she made, shared words of life, shared with her master's wife there was hope and healing for Naaman by pointing him toward the real miracle worker. There's a prophet in Israel who serves the living God, a God who can help you. The right words said at just the right time with just the right spirit, bring hope, bring healing, can change the direction of someone's life. There's such a connectivity to life, a connectivity, a chain of happenings where one thing leads to another and you could never guess, you could never guess where it's going to end or how it's going to end. King David, after King David, the nation splits. Israel and Judah, Israel in the north clashes with Aram. They capture a young girl. She's serving in the house of an army commander. She goes about her work. She pays attention, sees his leprosy, says to his wife, I know a prophet who can help. There's such a connectivity to life, providence, we would call it. When I was finishing seminary in Chicago, I looked for a place to sit at lunch one day and found a spot next to the editor of the quarterly magazine of the seminary. We talked, I told him about a book I had read about the mercy of God and how God's mercy is present in the midst of suffering. He asked me to write a book review, which I did for the magazine. It was only four or five paragraphs. That issue ended up on a table in the foyer of the Presbyterian Church on the edge of Rockford, Illinois. It was picked up by a dairy farmer in Northern Illinois, an elder in that church, who had just been thinking about the mercy of God and suffering. The church was between pastors. They needed some weekly preaching, invited me to come and speak on that subject. Diane and I drove out, and after the service, we were back in the car I had started the engine when a man came and knocked on my window and asked if he could put my name on the pastor search list. A few, a few months later, I was called to be their pastor. Presbyterian allowed me to start even though I had some ordination steps to complete. Such a connectivity to life. I shared a book, asked to write a review, a dairy farmer, 150 miles away, picks up the magazine, invites me to church. A man knocks on my window. All these exchanges of words that connect life. Words have incredible power. A word fitly spoken, scripture says, the right word shared in season, those moments that come along in the midst of ordinary daily life when God gives us gracious words to share that are needed just at that very moment. Words like those of this young woman, she's a captive. She's not even in Naaman's house of her own free will. 
she didn't have to care about him. But she initiates a spiritual conversation. If only my master would see the prophet who's in Israel. That phrase, if only, implies compassion. In the Hebrew language, it's in what's called a mood of possibility. The woman's expressing her profound belief that Elisha is fully capable of healing Naaman, if only, if only he'll go. The fact that she said it that way is a clue she's been thinking about him. She has the skill of attention. She thinks about him with affection. And she speaks up and points him to a prophet and through the prophet to the living God. Our words, our words have the power to give life. Proverbs says the tongue has the power of life and death. We hear death every day in our culture. Someone's always slamming someone else with harsh words. But words have the power of life. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. And when he sent out his followers to the towns and villages, he said, when you enter a house, say these words to them, peace be on this house. The words we say are alive. They, they connect heaven and earth. The gracious words you share with someone, you have no idea where those words might lead. There's such a connectivity to life. Words linger even after the moment they're said. There's a ripple effect. Words linger. If only my master would go and see the prophet in Israel. Well, what did those words lead to? The king of Aram told Naaman, by all means, go. He took along pounds of silver, pounds of gold, sets of clothing, gifts for Elisha. When Naaman arrived, Elisha refused the gifts, and instead of meeting Naaman himself, sent one of his sermons, servants who told Naaman, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River and your flesh will be restored. Naaman was offended. It's piqued that Elisha hadn't come out personally to meet him. After all, he was the famous commander. And what does Elisha do? Sends a servant who says, go dip seven times in the river. Doesn't he know who I am? Snap your fingers, make a gesture over my skin, and I'll be healed. Say the magic word, get on with it. It's an attitude as old as Adam and Eve. And if we're honest, tends to be part of our own nature. We want the blessings of God, but not the bestower of the blessings. When life's going well, we tend to keep God a little, a little at arm's length. But then when we're in real need, it's God's job to show up. Here's how one person put it. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, just enough to make me feel like a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine, 
but I don't want enough of God so my life has to change. No, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper bag. That was Naaman. Insulted, Elisha didn't come out to meet him. Told to go dip in the Jordan. I want just a little overlay of God on my own plans, just enough of God to heal me. I would like enough, I would like $3 worth of God, please. But I don't want it to change my life. Naaman's servants urged him to think otherwise. He came to his senses and in humility went down and dipped in the Jordan seven times. His flesh was restored, his skin as soft and clean as a young boy. He came and stood before Elijah. Now I know there's no God in all the world except in Israel. Now I know there's no God but your God. He was so converted, he took some Israelite soil back with him, the good earth. For now I know there's no God but your God. And Elisha said these words, go in peace. Naaman was right. There's no other God but the true living God whose Christian name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But who was it that pointed him that way to start with? How is it that an Aramean army commander ends up dipping himself in the Jordan River the young servant woman shared the right words at the right time with the right attitude. T.S. Eliot said the perfect sentence is one in which every word is at home. Every word at home. Every word perfect for the occasion. Naaman had never heard a more perfect sentence than when the young woman said, there's a prophet of the living God in Samaria who can cure you of your leprosy. This coming week, there's a good chance you'll cross people who need hope and wholeness. There's a lot going on in their lives. Life feels fractured, not a lot of joy. Your gracious words of encouragement can change everything. Words are so powerful. Words are so powerful. Your words connect heaven and earth. Most of our married life, Diane was up at five o'clock to run five miles. Most of those years we lived in Ann Arbor and she ran with her good friend, Nancy Mason, who lived up the street. They ran marathons, Diane being from New York City and growing up on Staten Island, it was very special to run the New York Marathon. It started on Staten Island and then crossed the Verrazano Bridge. Diane Nancy also ran the Detroit International Marathon. I dropped them off early in the morning in Windsor, Canada, across the river from Detroit. At the start of the race, you run through a tunnel under the Detroit River into Michigan. And then 26.2 miles later, the marathon ends on Belle Isle, a little island in the river. Me and the children, stopped along the route to cheer them on. You need all the encouragement you can get to run 26 miles. About a half mile from the finish line, 
Just before the runners crossed the bridge over to Belle Isle, out on the street that morning was an older couple. They had that morning's newspaper, the Detroit Free Press. The paper listed the name and number of every runner in the race, thousands of runners. This older couple out on the street with the newspaper. As the runner, as a runner approached, the man saw the number on the runner, told his wife the number, and she looked up the name. And they'd yell out the name and say, you're doing great. You're going to make it. You're doing great, Nancy Mason. You can do it. Half mile from the finish line, he'd get the number. She'd look it up. They'd both yell, you're doing great, Diane Murray. You're going to make it. You can do it. There are people around us who need encouragement, people feeling pain, overwhelmed, who need to hear, you're doing great. You're going to make it. Whether it's the little things of life for them or big things, feeling overwhelmed, but who need to hear, God is present. You are love. Jesus is for you. Our words of peace and blessing will pull the Holy Spirit right down on them. The right words at the right time can change everything. There's such a connectivity to life. Graceful words about a gracious God, gracefully said. Amen? Amen. Amen.